Hey, my name is Matthew Morkin. I have the d- privilege of being one of the pastors at Veritas Church, and I'm excited to be at Veritas Urbana today. Um, love um, seeing you guys semi-regularly and seeing you grow and continue to be faithful to your church here, and it's been great. And so I've, I've wrestled with, like, you know, having the opportunity. We do this in plurality every week anyway, so, like, how much do you let people know about you as you swoop in once a month or however uh, the schedule Lays And so one of the things um, I, a little bit about myself is I was raised in a, on a farm in northern Minnesota. And uh, I, I kind of fell into this this week, which is why I'm telling you this story, is I used to spend so much time, I was in a tractor or truck or whatever we were doing, and uh, I, would, I would listen to talk radio all day. Like I would listen from about 9 a.m. to about 5.30 p.m. And honestly, by about 2.30, I would start to twitch. I'd just be like, you know, and at 5.30, when I got out of whatever I was driving, I'd be like, show me the enemy. I'll destroy them, you know? That's kind of how, how it went for me. And I, um, I don't remember that. I don't remember that part fondly because it just created so much high blood pressure and stress that uh, I kind of missed out on what I was probably actually doing and the joy of just being outdoors or whatever. But I found myself this week um, kind of watching the news. And the news is something that I personally choose to stay away from. I'm not proclaiming anything to you, but it's just something that I really wrestle with. And when I Paid attention to the news for a few hours this week. I saw stuff about missiles that are just getting launched. Um, I saw, I've got missionary friends in uh, Venezuela, and they got, they're a rainforest nation. And they got one month of rain in about eight hours. And absolutely devastated uh, the area there, too. I've got missionary friends in Haiti. And Haiti is a disaster zone. Um, There's just so much turmoil going on. In the country there, and and all this just turmoil with their politics system. Do they have a system? It's just it's really a difficult thing, and creating a lot of issues for missionaries who are down in Haiti. And then you cannot ignore the amount of mail I have been getting lately, telling me who to vote for, and that that person is a complete fool. And then guess what? The next day, the fool writes me a letter and says the other one is. And, and so I'm navigating through my uh, mail very easily. It mostly goes into the delete bucket. I mean, that's what we call it for that old paper stuff. It's the delete bucket or garbage. Yeah. Uh, it goes right there. And uh, it uh, hopefully grows a tree someday, I guess. But um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in our world. And there are those things that are happening out there in the world that are big, um, that are international, that create concerns for us too, the war in Ukraine as well. And all this stuff is going on, but more personally, there's a lot of things happening in our world. Um, It's one thing for those of us who get worked up over international situations. It's another thing for those of us who get worked up over international situations, national situations, and then we've got our own struggles in our own homes. We've got children who have said no to truth and biblical righteousness and have walked away from the faith seemingly. And we've got family members who hate Jesus. Um, I have the opportunity in a month to hang out with my wife's family and one of my brother-in-laws, man, he hates Jesus, hates the scriptures. It is the joke 
I've got neighbors that actively hate Jesus. They don't just go up to neutral. They go past neutral. And they not only hate Jesus internally, but they proclaim their hatred of Christ. And it, it permeates through their life, at least in some sense. They're consistent. But what, what are we to do with this? And so I want us to go and start off. I know we're in the book of Genesis, but I actually want to start today in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And I want to ask ourselves the question today, with all the evil that is going on in the world, what is the way for us through this? How do we get to rescue? And Timothy also tells us what is coming. And he says in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul tells us as he writes to Timothy what's coming. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty... For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And so there's been this proclamation in the scriptures that tell us these things are going to come. So certainly rulers of nations have issues. And perhaps as we watch the rulers of nations in the news, we are seeing some of their selfishness. Perhaps we're seeing some of their pride. But more so, we're seeing some of that in our own families. We're seeing some of that in our own regions. People making decisions that are treacherous. People being bitter against the truth. And not just being bitter and and holding it in, but being bitter and, and moving towards making laws or making rules that might alienate Christians even more. And what do we do? And so I think as we walk into this story of Noah, I think we've got some truths that we can cling to in a similar sense that Noah would have had to. Um, and so I want us to go to this story. Now, if you're anything like me, I've had three boys. And so that meant I spent several years in a children's Bible. Okay? Children's Bibles are good. There are a couple of really great ones out there right now. But sometimes when you read a children's Bible, because of what they're trying to do, uh, they edit a few things out. And so when you come to the story of Noah, like, it took me a few days as I was studying to kind of like re- revisit this. Like, let's let's put away the the little puffy animals and this little cute little ark and let's get, let's wait on the rainbow okay let's wait on that right and let's let's go to what is happening here so we've gone through the book of genesis we saw in genesis chapter 1 that god loves his creation and he cares for his creation god creates his creation very specifically very intentionally and we see god creating men and women for a purpose and a design and then we see them sin They see them act on this idea that God is withholding something from them. They they want to be gods. They want to rule. They want to reign. They don't want to have to wait on some eternal being. They want it, and they want it now. And so they acted. And that sin permeates everything. And it doesn't seem like it takes very long for sin to impact everything. We see in the next chapter, Adam and Eve's own sons... Cain and Abel, struggling with who is God and how am I going to serve him? Is God going to serve me or am I going to serve him? 
and God punishes that. Actually, one of them kills the other. Cain kills Abel. And sin is already making significant impacts. And I think when you come to the book of Genesis, I don't want us to come thinking these people are dumb cavemen who carry around a big bat and grunt at each other. I'm convinced that because of how God created, if you would have given Adam an iPhone, and yes, there's a lot of technology that would have been lacking, he could have figured it out and functioned just fine with it. But he didn't have that technology, and therefore he didn't have an iPhone. But intelligent people, knowing God, given gifts and abilities to take care of the creation, are found because of sin killing one another. Already in chapter 4. And and in some sense, it doesn't seem to get any better. And so we start here in Genesis chapter 6. If you have a Bible, turn there. We're going to focus on Genesis chapter 6 primarily, but we're going to touch on 7 and a little bit on 8 as well. Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 tells us more of this story of what happens. Uh, And who knows how far exactly we are from creation. But, well, let's just read what happens. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So as a pastor, this is one of the favorite texts ever. Yay! Let's talk Nephilim, okay? Like this is number one. Let's do this. So maybe I'm getting this out of the way early in my career so I can have some structure to go on next time. But here's this picture, right? Again, just like we have some points to wrestle with in Genesis chapter 1, we come into Genesis chapter 6 and, and we're like, what, what are, what's going on here? <laughs> what, who are these people? Who are the sons of God? And who are the daughters of men? And what groups of people? And I'm going to just tell you up front, I don't, I don't think I have an answer for you. Um, it is still confusing for me. Now, I will tell you, I've read some men who are a lot smarter than me. And there's a definitely, well, there's actually tons of different sp- Stories that are speculated from these verses. But a few that kind of stand out to us is this picture that perhaps there were deme- demonic forces or angels that had been removed and that they started to have relationships with the daughters of men. And so in that, the population was spread and in that, some of the evil that came to the earth came. There's also another popular story that talks about, you know, Seth was the chosen one of Cain and Abel. And Seth, right? Cain kills Abel. Cain has a curse on him. He's marked by a curse. You see that in chapter 4. But, and then you see Seth as the chosen one. Like God's line is going to work through the descendants of Seth. And so is Seth, is his children, are they the sons of God? And so you here you have people that are called to something and they're, they're like, well, those, those people over there, they, they look hot. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go hang out with them. We're going to go hang out. Yeah, it'll be fun. And so we're God's people mingling with people that God said not to mingle with. So those are two, two popular ones. I lean actually personally towards the second one. You guys can study yourself. But like come to this text, okay? Come to this text and wrestle with like who are these people? What are the implications if they're this group or that group? 
Nonetheless, we're not completely sure of what happens here. And I'll tell you, I read one scholar who said, who, who was so went back and forth over it. And he's like, considering the fact that the flood comes next, like, can't we just all agree that it was the Nephilim's fault that the flood happened, that evil spread? And it was interesting how people use this first paragraph of chapter 6 to almost make an excuse, an excuse for how sin has spread in the world. And isn't that the same response that Adam and Eve had? Well, well, she made me do it. Well, I, I mean, the serpent, the serpent is the one that made me do it. And there's this picture in some scholars' minds of almost like, well, it's their fault. Why did we all have to pay? Well, it's Eve's fault. Why do I have to pay? Well, it's the serpent's fault. Why do, why do we have to pay? And there's this challenge here as you study this. Don't lose that bigger context of there's something big that's going to happen in these next texts. And there's some very big truths about who God is that God is going to live out in these next texts. And so certainly we've got questions over who these people are and what was going on. But there's a greater story that's happening here. Sin is spreading. Created beings don't float towards holiness. Whenever left alone, even in a perfect garden, they they move away from holiness. You can't sit on your keister and expect to be more godly after a period of time. And so the people of the nation are fooling around with people that they shouldn't be fooling around with. They're they're mixing with people that they, they shouldn't mix with. They're saying, God, you've given me these people, but I'm going to... I'm going to go to these people. And sin spreads because of the choices that they make. And so we, we see more here. Let's go to verse 5. This is Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created. Let's pause there, actually. The Lord saw that the wickedness on the earth was really great. You know, there's nothing that God doesn't see. We see him intimately creating birds of their kind and animals of their kind. We see him engaging Cain. We see him engaging Abel. He's readily available to these people. And so, needless to say, when he is also readily available to these people, they choose wickedness. And they grow in wickedness. They thrive in wickedness. In fact, he sees not only them, but he sees their hearts. And he says, everything in you is wicked. Everything in you is wicked and terrible. And it grieves him. And a lot has been said about, like, what does it mean that God was grieved? And I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but... uh, I had a son who was born, and he cried for six months. And there were moments where I was grieved, (laughs) where you're like, I want a child. I want to play soccer. I want to go down slides. I want to spend time in a park. I just don't want to hold a screaming baby for months. Like, at first it was two hours, and then it was like 24, and then you're like, What's going on? And then you visit a doctor, and then you visit another doctor, and then you visit a chiropractor, and they're like, oh, yeah, you might be a while. And it, it like, gets to your heart. I know there's a tension. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But it gets really hard in those moments. Or perhaps it's with a teen where you're like, come on, man. There's something better for you. 
There's a life for you. Don't make these decisions. And it grieves your heart that somebody you love so much does such incredibly stupid things. And it it grieves your heart. And so here God has made a creation. I would guess, much like the psalmist said, like the heavens are declaring the glory of God. I would guess the heavens then are also declaring the glory of God. I would guess these people know people who knew Adam and Eve. They knew that from nothing God created everything, and they're choosing these things. I mean, if God can provide for you a wife from your rib out of clay, do I need to go to these other evil, wicked people, the Nephilim, and take a wife? And yet, they do. And, and these people have seen the goodness and the glory of God, and they've heard about these stories, and the heavens are undoubtedly declaring the glory of God, and they're continuing to choose that whatever they want, you know, and the wickedness is very great. And so the Lord regretted them. <laughs> Look at what I've given you, and, and yet you continue to choose. And so that's another concept you can wrestle with. And then verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man. Whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God, who created, giving him authority, I build the Lego castle, I can destroy the Lego castle. I mean, that's something puny compared to something mega. But Creator God says, I have set a person. I've set a people. I have made a plan. I have given the order. I have given the instruction. I will destroy. You have rejected my holiness. You have rejected my purpose. You have rejected my plan, and I will judge perfectly. And I'll judge everything. In a sweeping, powerful play, God says, I am going to blot you out. Everything from the face of the earth. And so amidst this crowd that I would say is doing wickedness all the time, that their hearts are desperately evil, God says, I'm going to have favor on one man. I'm going to give grace to one man. And this man is Noah. And God finds Noah as if he had to search. He found Noah and he gave him favor. God blessed him. God gave him grace. Did Noah deserve this grace that God had given? No. My guess is that Noah's heart was similar to that of those around him. But God gave him favor. And it transformed Noah's life. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. God's grace transforms Noah. And while the world is doing all their crazy things, Noah is righteous. And Noah is walking with God. And God goes on and he talks about the corruption that is on the earth. It's plaguing the earth. And Noah is a man who's been saved by God, who is walking with God. And so what can we learn from this man, Noah? Let's, let's go on. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, it says this, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, okay? So we need to understand this. If you're here and you're wanting me to talk about an apologetic or a defense of a flood, I'm not here, okay? And I would get that some of you in this room might wrestle with this concept of God flooding the entire earth. And never, you know, feel free to always ask questions. Questions are how we learn and how we grow in this, okay? But realizing that... um, God says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching and training and correcting in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped to do good works. And I I believe this, okay? We believe this. And we get that there are questions about this too. But if this doesn't happen, God, that makes God a liar. And so those are tensions that you need to wrestle with as you go into this story of Noah. Like, why did God tell me this story? Like, what is the purpose, okay? So you have a couple things. The first audience that Moses is sharing this story to, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, are the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are either in the middle of the wilderness or they're getting really close to this promised land. And the people of Israel have heard these stories told from generations to generation. And here they're coming in. They're about to go into Canaan, perhaps. And they're surrounded by people who don't do things the way they do things. The Canaanites, they're crazy, they're wicked, they're evil, all these ites. There's Amalekites, there's Ammonites, there's all kinds of ites. And every one of them has their own God, and they worship their own thing, and they do their own thing. They just, they're about themselves. And so they're about to go in, and Noah is reminding these people, these, this original audience, like, look at what has happened in the past. There has always been people around you. They don't do things the way we do things. They don't love and honor and worship God, and we're we're called to love and honor and worship God. They don't do sex right. They don't do entertainment right. They're just out there. They're doing their things. They don't do anger right. They don't do mercy right. They don't do love right. They're just out there, and they're doing their things by their own ways. In fact, and some of them are wicked. Every thought within their heart is wicked. And so Israel, like, let's look back at Noah. And so I say, Urbana, let's look back at Noah and see how does Noah make it through this? Because certainly things might not be as quite as offensive as some of the cultures that existed at the time, but things are getting pretty crazy. There's a lot of leaders doing foolish things. There's a lot of social media calling us to loosen up. How do we live? How do we survive? And so this is perhaps an encouraging story as well as a historical story for the people of Israel. But there's this issue that like throughout history Christians have been surrounded by people who don't do what we do they do whatever the heck they want to do whatever makes them feel good whatever makes them feel safe I mean it kind of makes sense I want to feel safe and if my worldview doesn't have this great God who put everything into place like I'm going to need to make some different decisions but we, we have a different worldview that says God is intentional and God is purposeful. And so Israel has undoubtedly walked through the wilderness and they've seen God do the plagues. They've seen him open the Red Sea. They've seen bread fall from heaven and quail as well. They've seen water come out of rocks perhaps at this time. And, and they're about to go in and they're like, well, there's, there's all these people around and, and they're not like us. You know, you're calling us to this crazy thing called holiness and they're, they're not holy. How are, how are we going to survive? And, and God chooses at this time to tell them this, this story, too, of, of God and, and of Noah. And so 
God speaks to his people. God talks to Noah. He calls him out of this crowd, of this wickedness. God gives him favor and grace, and God has a relationship with him. God communicates with him. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy the earth. I just read 2 Timothy to you. Things are going to get crazy here. People are going to be wicked. They're going to be selfish. They're going to be obnoxious. It's going to happen. It is happening. Okay? I'm not preaching a message about the end times, okay? I'm just saying it's going to happen. People are going to be wicked, okay? It's going to happen, okay? So Noah, what are, what are you going to do? Well, I borrowed this from some smarter guys than me. Noah's going to build a boat, okay? It's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. The inside capacity would have been 1.4 million cubic feet with a deck area around 95,700 square feet. And Noah is going to practically live out his faith in an evil world. And he's never seen rain. Rain has never fall. it's fallen. It says in Genesis 2 that the earth was watered by the dew. And God is, speaks, he communicates with his person, and he tells him this is what is going to happen. And Noah obeys. Noah obeys the Lord. All the evilness, don't separate. Like, here, this evil's going on. It's not Noah in his isolated little hill doing his boat thing. Like, there are people most likely around them, and Noah's on the hill building a boat because God says, listen, I'm going, I have a plan. Obey the plan, and Noah obeys the plan. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Verse 22 says this, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did all that God commanded him. And again, the the reality is Noah has been in this world. Like he's been impacted by this culture. He's been seeing all this going on. And God asked him to do something crazy and something totally impossible. You know, they built a lifelike replica of the ark, I believe, in Kentucky. And it took them years. And certainly they added some electrical stuff to it. But um, it took them years with excavators and cranes and all these things. It took them years to build that boat. And you've got a guy with some knives and some blades and perhaps some axes. And he's called to build this mega boat and then bring two of every animal, every walking beast bring them into this ark, and so it seems impossible, but you see a consistent theme, or at least there's not a whole lot written about Noah saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't, this seems a little weird. Are you going to provide for me? But you see a consistency, like, God, you're holy. You're really powerful. I've heard the stories. I believe, and I act. And so Noah starts building this huge boat, Having never seen rain. Let's go on. Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. By the way, Noah's 600 years old. Happy birthday. Uh, Noah, 600 year of Noah's life. In the second month, on the seventh day of the month, right? You see that detail. This is when this happened. On the day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, 
with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered were male and female of all flesh. They went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The plan is in place. The call has been made. Obedience has been done. And now this judgment is coming. And the chosen man of God and his family are safe. They're safe inside the ark of God. They're safe. The God who caused the judgment, the God who made the plan is going to keep him safe inside this ark. The people aren't going to beat down the door. God's going to shut them in. Okay, and you can about imagine with this time that Noah took to build this epic thing that people are probably seeing it. And again, I think a lot of people spend too much time on this, but, but, but there's some truth to the fact that they might have been saying like, hey, what you building over there? A boat? You're nuts. You must be a crazy religious person. How ridiculous. Your water's going to come down from the sky? Like, there's a God? (laughs) You're crazy. And his family also probably endured some of this persecution because it doesn't make sense to build a boat. But Noah builds the boat. And we see in Genesis chapter 7, Verse 21, it says this, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarmed on the earth, and all mankind. Judgment was poured out by God against the people who loved wickedness more than they loved holiness. And then in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God loved his person. God called someone. God gave him instruction. I would say God helped him follow, and God protected him in the process. There wasn't a point like, no, I'm going to call you something crazy. Good luck. Go do it. Roll those dice. Make it happen, Noah. No, I'm going to be with you. And so in this judgment, God is with his person, with his family, with Noah and his children. And you see that they were in that thing for about over a year, if you add up those days, and God was with them. And here is the message I want to share with you today. The way through worldly wickedness, or God's will, is the way through worldly wickedness to rescue. God's will is the way through worldly wickedness to rescue. All of us in here probably won't have to deal with the leader of a nation sending a missile But we'll have to deal with neighbors who have bitter and angry hearts. Who look at us like we're absolutely crazy. Because we're going to fight for purity before we're married. We're not going to get hooked on that form of entertainment. We're not going to cheat the IRS. We're going to do it differently. And they're going to look at us and they're going to say things about us. And perhaps say things about our family It's going to be difficult and hard, but we're called to holiness. 
We're called to obedience to the creator of the entire universe. We even know through the scriptures that there, there will be hard times. There will be discipline. There will be punishment. And the message that Christians have doesn't change. We see that throughout Noah's life, he was shown grace. His response is then obedience. He had faith that God would keep his promises, that God wasn't going to set up a plan and, and let him just out there in a boat. Go sail this thing, Noah. It'll be fun. We don't see Noah panicking. We see steady commitment, it seems, with what we're given. And certainly we're not necessarily given a lot with, about Noah's responses here, but if you take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, this great chapter on the faithful fathers, it says this of Noah, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, right, by a gift of God, faith, belief, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, in reverent awe, he constructed an art for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes through faith. We see a testimony from the writer of Hebrews who has heard this story of Noah. And he gives God glory through the story of Noah. Noah hadn't even seen these things coming. But by faith, in reverent awe, I know what you can do, Lord. And I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey. When everyone else is doing everything else, I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow. I'm going to go upstream. You know, it doesn't say anything about Noah creating a platform next to the ark to condemn all the dumb people. It doesn't seem to do that. He seems to build this plan, build this way out of judgment. He obeys what the word of the Lord says. And so what might this have to do with this? What does it look like for us in Urbana, in Center Point, in Vinton, to follow God when the world is doing crazy things? And church, I think some of us have too high of expectations for people who don't believe what we believe. Scripture talks about being dead in your trespasses and sins or being blind. Dead things do what dead things do. They lie. They just lie there. Okay? You see a raccoon alongside the road? It's dead. It just does dead thing things. I can't make it do live raccoon things. It's gone. Okay? And in some respect, too, like when we look at our neighbors and when we look at our communities like, who don't believe that there's a God who created, who made, who gave purpose to, when they don't believe that, they do things differently. And our response to them is so powerful. Are we winning them to the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are we just calling them names? In some ways, acting exactly like they are. Do our responses to the world, what are they? Do we have expectations for them of godly believers when they're not godly or believers? Reality is it's election season. And so many Christians, and I use the term loosely, lose their mind. And yet God hasn't left his throne. No one can outvote God. God holds the hearts of every politician and every 
person, like in his hand. Nebuchadnezzar at one point was king of the whole entire world. And God said, you're going to eat grass like a cow for seven periods of time. And you know what? For seven periods of time, Nebuchadnezzar, he ate grass. The king of the world, builder of one of the wonders of the world is eating grass like a cow. Like that is our God. What is the impact of following in obedience and hope that, yes, the world is going to do evil things? Christians, we're called to be faithful to God. When the world is swimming in fear and panic, what does it look like to have a group of people called the church that hope in Jesus? When our children say, I'm done, I'm out, what does it look like to be a parent that hopes in Jesus? When our relatives call us crazy, what does it look like to hope in Jesus? When our country does worldly things, what does it look like to hope in Jesus? What does it look like to build the ark? No, I don't think we need to build bigger fences around ourselves to protect ourselves from them. But what does it look like for you to lean into your faith? What does it look like for you to lean into the God that told you it's coming? I'm with you. What does it look like in Urbana, in Vinton? In center point, like, what does it look like for you to do that? Because in reality, this, this, even in this story of tremendous judgment, there's a picture of the gospel. There's a picture of the gospel that has been extended to us. We were those people. We, I did wickedness. I did whatever my heart desired. Like, how do I make me comfortable? Well, I'll lie about him, I'll lie about her, and I'll do whatever I want. I was a farmer. You know about tax write-offs. I'll make it happen. We can work the numbers. We got seven years to correct it. I'll be comfortable, though. I will make my way. I, I was that person. And you have this picture of God saving. Of all this wickedness that's going on, of all this deceit, of all this murder, of all this chaos that exists. God says, Noah, come forth. God shows favor on a man and his family. And God moves into his life, no matter how hard his heart was. And God says, be faithful. And Noah says, I will be faithful. What do I do? Live differently than everyone else. Quite practically, build a boat. And Noah builds a boat, trusting in the faithfulness of God. When we would have been part of the crowd, God shows us favor through the blood of Jesus Christ and gives us hope and a plan for rescue. As we're going to go through this season and perhaps even into judgment, there is hope of a promised land. And as Israel marched into, into Israel, as they marched into Canaan and addressed the enemies that were there, that would be the promised land. And to you and I, there is a new Jerusalem. It is coming. Be obedient. Fight for godliness. Fight for holiness. May their wickedness not permeate or impact our desire to just be godly. Pursue God. And remember that this is, again, possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. To be frank, 
we deserve to drown. And God has been gracious and kind to us. Not bringing us just up to neutral, but saving us and giving us himself, who we will spend an eternity with. Like that's sweet motivation for us. God has not shorted us. God has not punished us, but he punished Christ who was drowned on our behalf so that we could have hope and a freedom in a greater ark. So consider those things. And even as we take communion, we celebrate this fact that we have a lot in common with Noah. If you're a believer, having been saved out of the wickedness, every thought of my mind was evil. God saved us from ourselves. God saved us from the devil through Jesus Christ. And he's given us a promise that he will never leave and he will never forsake. And he walks alongside us and he promises us himself in the end. Let's not forget that. Let's remember that that is the hope that we have no matter what nations do, no matter what politicians do, no matter what neighbors do. Christ is our hope and what we cling to. Let's pray. God, you are very great. Father, we love you. God, we're so grateful for your grace, your unmerited favor that you have extended on many. God, may we be a church that follows you in obedience no matter what our city does or state does or nation does or world does. May people look at us and say, what is the reason for the hope that those crazy people have within them? God, work in my heart. To hope in Christ. God, and even now as we take communion, God, reveal to us areas where we have not hoped in you. God, reveal to us areas where we have um, loved the things of the world more than obedience. God, we confess our sin to you. Help us turn, help us repent, and follow you no matter what the world does. And would you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.